Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on this episode of the podcast, I'm continuing the discussion about how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting academic veterinary medicine. And today we're discussing student well-being during the pandemic. So at the time of this recording, it's been 62 days since the World Health Organization declared coronavirus outbreak pandemic. And during this time, countries around the world have instituted stay-at-home orders. Things have been quite different. For students around the world, this has resulted in a pretty drastic and dramatic transition from on-ground school to school from home. And for some students, it hasn't been the smooth transition that we'd hoped. And for many, and and for many, some veterinary students, it seems that uh, really they're kind of a microcosm of what many of us are experiencing during these uh, fateful times. And so what are we all experiencing? A lot of big emotions and probably eating a lot of snacks. So for, (laughs) for students, this big life change is layered on top of a really demanding academic program. In other words, it's a lot. And when we look at students from a historically underrepresented or economically disadvantaged backgrounds, some of the stressors are further magnified by things like food and housing insecurity and unstable internet connectivity. For the last two weeks, I've had an informal survey out uh, to DVM students throughout AAVMC member institutions to see how they're faring during this time. The short summary is that like the rest of us, they're trying to cope and some are really struggling. So to talk about student well-being during the pandemic, I am very excited to welcome my two guests, Dr. Elizabeth Strand from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and AAVMC's new Director of Well-Being, Mackenzie Peterson. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Great. So as is our custom, I asked my guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. Mackenzie, you're the new kid on the block. Why don't you start? I am the new kid. Well, my name's Mackenzie Peterson. As Lisa said, I was born and raised in Alaska and I went and did uh, some various things. I didn't leave Alaska until I was 20. And I went and did my undergrad and grad in Utah and then went and lived in Boston for about seven and a half years. And then working in higher education, working for a Harvard MIT startup, focusing on college student health and well-being. So it's been a really great, fascinating experience. I worked at Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine, and that was my first foray into veterinary medicine and really getting acquainted to the amazingly resilient, gritty students that we have that are, I think, phenomenal. I, I We are not lacking in strong, smart students. Not at all. They are mm-hmm. awesome rock stars. So Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about you. Well, Elizabeth Strand and social worker at the University of Tennessee. I love interprofessional practice. And so I kind of have a foot in both college, college of veterinary medicine and college of, of social work. I've been here since 2002. Actually, May 2nd, 2002 was my anniversary. You know, I guess the only thing I would want to share is that you know, through this pandemic, my my true affection for my college has really just uh, been stirred up in a huge amount as we've all kind of 
bonded together to get through it. And so, yeah. And like you, Mackenzie, what you said about veterinary students and grit. One time we did a survey and we we did one of the grit scales and our students had the same level of grit as like army cadet, cadet grit level. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you for both taking the time to join us, join me today and everybody that's listening. So why don't we dive in? And Elizabeth, I'm going to pitch the first question to you. This is a really emotional time for folks. You know, in theory, everyone kind of would love to spend a little bit more time at home. But now, you know, 62 days later, maybe that's a little, a lot. So what are some of the emotions that folks are feeling kind of during this time, this pandemic? Yeah, well, I think, I think they're up and down. So my, my experience is that some folks are experiencing a lot of peace, a lot of gratitude for having a job, being able to, to work from home if they are in those circumstances. But right on the heels of that is fear and depression about the world and guilt about how can I help, but I'm also scared. I think folks feel a lot of, uh, and I I think there's also very appropriate irritation (laughs) um, that that people get in the lower, and you know how I am about the brain, you know, the lower we get down in the brain, you know, those, those kind of lower emotions, we start to judge and get judgmental of each other, which I think is natural and normal to happen in these times. So, but then there's also, you know, those, again, I'll end with those, those higher order emotions of love and reaching out to people that are, I call it the oxytocin ring, you know, who are, who are the people in my oxytocin ring and, and reaching out in love with, with those people, gratitude and relishing the awe of the small moments, yeah, I think are also present. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there's definitely kind of stages I think that folks Mm. are going through, right? The first couple of weeks, you know, we've been kind of joking on our, our daily Zoom in the office that, you know, the introverts are like, this is introvert season. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Send out for food and it's, it's all good. But for those of us like myself who are extroverts, like check on your friends, (laughs) like we're not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so it's and even that waxes and wanes, as you mentioned, that it's it, it can be pretty complicated. So Mackenzie, you've been with us at AAVMC for what, three weeks? <laughs> I think I'm starting my fourth, yeah. Fourth week. Almost a month um, so, you know, in these few weeks, what are you kind of seeing and hearing kind of out on the academic streets? Oh, in the academic space, I mean, it's very similar to, to, you know, the things that Elizabeth mentioned. I mean, we've got the grief. We have loss, loss for what was, loss for what could have been, a strong sense of confusion all around. Everyone feels that they're kind of at an absolute loss. Like, we felt totally unprepared for this. And as I said, like, there's this conflict and judgment between groups, particularly those who still come to campus versus those who are able to work remotely. And we're seeing that it... This, this whole situation has really heightened all the taboos that we never are really allowed to talk about in our society. We're not allowed to talk about class divides. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to talk about the folks who work on college campuses who only have high school educations and folks who have PhDs who work from home remotely. And we have cleaning crews at, at campuses who still have to come into work every day. So I think it's really highlighted a lot of the 
housing insecurity, financial insecurity that people have. And I'm not sure if, honestly, at times, if higher education was prepared to have that conversation right now. And so I think it's really pushed that to the forefront and has and almost encapsulated in this idea of well-being, which I think is a really valuable opportunity for us to talk about and say, see how this is connected to so many other things. You can't thrive and have these higher level thinking when you're worried about if you're going to be able to pay your rent and get food. Right, right. It's that kind of basic Maslow's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Like what's that bottom bottom layer, right? You know, food shelter. Yeah, yeah, food shelter. Food shelter <laughs> right. And, you know, we found, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but we, we found that there are definitely some students that are experiencing food and housing insecurity in the midst of this. And how, how does that work when, you know, how does that work when you still are trying to take classes, right? I mean, Elizabeth, for you at at Tennessee, University of Tennessee, what have been some of the biggest challenges associated with kind of supporting the college and supporting students during this time? The biggest challenges, I think, are staying connected through Zoom, the steep learning curve of sharing important information in digestible ways through new means, whereas a lot of conversations would happen in the hallways when you walked by people, now we're needing to communicate in in new ways. So I think one of the challenges was the quick adoption of technology. But frankly, at Tennessee, and I have to disclose that I'm a techie, you know, so, so, so I have found it really heartening that, you know, some of our more seasoned faculty have kind of jumped in to, to learn about connecting through tech. I think the other challenges are just making decisions when everything is so unclear and finding a way to keep ourselves clear enough to make decisions based on data than more than emotion. I think we've done, at Tennessee, I think we've done a good job at it, but we, we put a lot of energy and work into keeping, keeping both the emotions uh, acknowledged and regulated and the facts foremost as we move forward. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that we have to also remember, you know, the, this this show, we're going to talk more about student well-being, but this is happening to everyone. Oh, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is happening to everyone. And, you know, depending on your family makeup, you may have other people in the house, you may have very high maintenance family members, some of them four-legged. I've been on countless Zoom calls in the last two months where even my own dog has kind of traipsed around across <laughs> through the yeah. screen, you know? And so those are, it's happening to everyone. But yeah, the other piece of that, that and I appreciate as you mentioning, that it's hard, you know, that there are the decisions that have to be made. You are working with the best data that you can, but it's almost always incomplete and almost always changing within a week, right? And so you're constantly trying to play catch up in a way. What has been easy about this transition? For us, I think one of the things that has been easy is we at Tennessee, we have a, again, this is probably why I've been so reconnected with that first feeling of acceptance and love and appreciation for my community there. There's a lot of joking. I mean, like we have like we have a weekly Zoom session and now and it started at like maybe 75 faculty and staff would attend and now we're upwards of like 
195, 200 every Wednesday people show up. And it starts off with one of our faculty playing ukulele, you know? And so, so it's very, we, we're, con- we're finding ways to connect in a personal way through technology. And it's been surprisingly easy. The other thing that I keep uh, being completely appreciating is that this has shaken things up to such a degree that hierarchies are a little shifted. Like, whereas decisions would have been made just in a smaller group, now I'm noticing that information from folks that are on the ground have a quicker a quicker way to get to the top and influence what uh, what decisions are made, and that's been uh, heartening heartening to see, and I think been helpful for people feeling validated. That's been easy. Great. So switching gears to, to really kind of talk about students, Mackenzie, what have been some of your maybe kind of big concerns about veterinary students during during this time? My big concerns for veterinary students right now is honestly that so many of them are experiencing such a wide range of what's going on that you almost don't know where to start. And like you said, it's everyone is experiencing this. So everyone is overwhelmed. And then you've got folks looking to leadership to go, okay, fix it. And they're like, I'm navigating all my stuff at home while I have to fix this problem for other people. And I think feeling the weight of that decision, right? And to like Elizabeth's point, it's how can we get more people involved in this decision-making process? And I'm, I have a concern at times where I, I wonder, are we getting an analysis paralysis where we're analyzing so much because we don't want to make the wrong decision that we almost delay making decisions so we can keep things moving and keep things going. And for students, I'm concerned that I'm concerned for the students who were struggling even before this pandemic began. And now this situation, their increased isolation, maybe their, their symptoms have increased. And so I'm really concerned for those folks. And I'm also, in general, for all students involved, the shift to online learning, I can't fathom being an easy process. It's very difficult to be a certain type of learner to spend most of your academic career from you know kindergarten all the way up into vet, into vet school, you have honed how you learn so that you can retain the most information possible. And now in one week, everything has changed. It's no longer how you have to do it. And now you still have to somehow pull A's, you know, you got to pull rabbits out of your hat and you got to still get A's and still do good. And maybe a professor changes some changes a dynamic to where it's just exams and another one sticks to assignments. Maybe one teacher is just doing videos that have already been recorded from years past and the other ones are doing it live. Some are doing eight hour sessions that you have to sit through and some are saying, here they go, take them at your own pace. So I think just the the massive shift in flux and flow and inconsistencies, and I don't mean that in in a necessarily disparaging way, just in a nothing is really paralleled or matching up. So it's not a similar experience that everyone is having. I'm really concerned for those folks. Yeah, there does seem to be a lot of diversity in terms of what folks are experiencing in a kind of modified learning environment. At Tennessee, Elizabeth, what what have been kind of big, big things that you've been thinking about, worried about, or, you know, actively working on? Because I mean, that's, that's really so much of your role there. How many Zoom, how many Zoom meetings do you have a day? Talking well, well let me just say for the record, that there should not be any, you, no one should sit for more than 45 minutes 
in front of a computer without moving. And that there is absolutely no reason, and I will say this boldly to anyone, every person in all of academic veterinary medicine, I don't care who you are, there is no reason why you cannot stand up in the middle of a Zoom session, continue your business, and do a stretch. Because if you're sitting at your computer locked into the Zoom session, I call it concrete body, and it's not healthy. It's not a good thing. It stops your ability to think creatively and stop analysis paralysis. It's a little bold, but for the record, (laughs) for the record. And so you're asking me, you're asking me what I'm doing. Well, when we're in a Zoom meeting, it is not unheard of for me to say, everybody stand up. You won't die. It'll be okay. Do a little stretch. Keep going. So I, and I think helping our faculty who have not taught online. Mm-hmm. to to give themselves permission to to take a step back to to have a 15 minute break to to not have to teach the same way that they've taught and to and to maybe now kind of listen to the student feedback and give themselves the the faculty themselves give themselves grace to to maybe not teach in in such in the in the same level of intensity in the online format that they did in their face to face format given that we have a pandemic is kind of what I'm working on. But I mean, I think that that's important because I, you know, this idea of kind of moving to online learning, as long as online learning has been a thing, and it's been a thing for a really, really long time, because, you know, the the precursor to online learning was correspondence learning. Like, it's the same thing. (laughs) Like, everybody just take a step back, right? But there's this idea that somehow it is less than. And so I think that some students have reported experiencing kind of because there is sometimes still this perception of online learning that, you know, some some faculty are overcompensating. Yes. Right. And so it's right. like, okay, well, here's 10 to 20% more because we know right. that online learning is, right? And so... But the end result is, yeah, but I was doing all of that stuff <laughs> and now I have 10% more. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think there's unfortunately this perception that, oh, the students are home so they can do more. Right. And that's just not their reality. And I don't think it's any faculty or staff's reality either. I don't think that's anyone's reality that just because we're home right now, we have all this free time to do separate side projects and things like that. It's not really what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So diving into the survey. So just to kind of give everyone a little bit of an overview, the survey, it's very informal. And I will admit that it might be a bit, not might be, it is a little bit biased toward kind of understanding some of the challenges that some students may be experiencing. So we asked questions like, how was your, how would you rate your well-being before <laughs> the pandemic and how would you rate it now? And if you feel like you're struggling, what are some of the reasons why you're struggling? We also asked about, you know, how would you rate your professors? knowing that for some of them and many of them, this might be the very first time that they've had to, you know, do the little videos and do online learning and all of that. And we've also asked, what would you want your faculty and administrators to know? And what are you afraid of? So I'll give you a little bit about that question around if you're having trouble 
what do you feel like? We asked, so the question was read is if you're not doing as well as struggling academically, what are the perceived reasons you're not doing as well or struggling? And students were able to check all that apply. So I'm going to just tell you what the top six were. And then I'm going to ask you both Elizabeth and Mackenzie to kind of maybe respond a bit. The top six were emotional challenges, concerns about the academic year, this disruption of this previous school year, now that it's kind of over, perceived learning style, concern about future employment opportunities, and home environment is not conducive to learning. So all of those things had a minimum, they were all over 50%. So um, more than half of the respondents to that question said that these were things that they were concerned about. And it went all the way up to emotional challenges being the highest ranking one at 63.2%. Elizabeth, when you saw some of this, what, what did you think? I will say that one of the things that I thought, and from my experience, is that I think, and from and from reading the comments, you know, some students are doing really fine, you know, and some students aren't. And there's no right or wrong to any, any place where a student might fall. So I, I am, I am curious about the, the individuals that chose to complete versus that did not choose to complete. Right. So that, you know, always in my mind, but yeah, this is an emotional time. I mean, if you did not have skills for managing emotions before this, you are now in the Olympics of <laughs> learning how to manage emotions. So I think that I think that this is my experience in talking with people. Uh, there is way more crying than I have seen previously, and socially acceptable crying. You know, <laughs> you know, yes, crying in public in meetings, and that's okay. You know, and so um, concerns about the academic the the next year, absolutely, all of that is my experience of working with our our crew here. So it seems to ring true for for those are expressing some concern. Again, to be clear, there is a population of students that are like, this, this is, this is working for me. (laughs) Yeah. And I do want to say that. I do want to say that because (laughs) we have some classes that have been kind of moved online and they're small group kind of classes. And those students are like, this works great for us in terms of online. So I think that there are some nice little inspired ideas of how the curriculum might shift to for to promote well-being sure. you know for for some students sure so uh Mackenzie what was your kind of reaction when you saw some of the data my reaction to this was actually thinking long and hard about those rising seniors mm-hmm. those were the that was the group that I just kept looking at going man 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 because I think our seniors that are graduating you know next week you know those folks I mean hopefully for the most part They've secured their they've secured their jobs after graduation. They've done all that legal over the past semester or so. Hopefully they have that in place and they're they're feeling a little more locked in. At least they got in under the wire. And I think our rising seniors are the ones who are feeling the most amount of confusion, concern. You know, it's a lot easier to think about how you're going to navigate clinics in 2022 as opposed to how are you navigating clinics now this fall? Or I should have started clinics maybe three, four weeks ago, and I still am, am not. And just so many feelings around what does that mean for me? And it's, it can start that really downward spiral where everything starts magnifying, right? Where suddenly it's, well, I can't go into clinics for this rotation, but I really want it to be because I thought I might specialize in that. Well, if I can't get the grades that I need, can I get into an internship? I might need to go into an internship and buy myself a year. So maybe this economic recession that we're going to hit is I can wait that out. Well, and then can I get a residency? And it just, it becomes such a monster when 
you start to think more and more on it, which is, I want to, I would hope everyone would just be like, hold up, don't catastrophize. Let's, let's like, let's keep it contained. Yeah. The data was really clear that third years. So mm-hmm. I was able to break out this data by class year and you're right. The fourth years are like, I am glad that I'm <laughs> just under the wire. <laughs> Give me my parchment. I'm out of here. No, certainly some of them are a little fretful just about life in general, but the fourth years are like, whew, sucks to be you guys, right? And the third years are, um, well, actually, let me kind of skip the third years. So what we see in the second and the first year is certainly some of the, the worry, but they're also, especially like the first years, they're like, by the time we get to fourth year, hopefully this thing will have passed or worked itself out or, you know, it's going to be okay. Second year, ooh, you know, if we're thinking about pandemic and how long it takes for a pandemic to really, air quote, passed, you know, this might affect me next year. But by fourth year, like if we plan, it's okay. We can do it. We'll have figured it out by then. Third years are like, I just spent the whole year Mm-hmm. figuring out everywhere I was going to be for 52 weeks. <laughs> and now I'm at home. Yeah. What, what are we doing? Right. And so there seems to be a lot of confusion. There's a lot of grief, a lot of, a lot of grief there. I mean, it's, I think for them, it's finally that one place where oh, now we're going to get to work on the live animals. Mm-hmm. Now we get to do it. Now I get to feel like a veterinarian. I get my white coat. I get to go in and I actually get to feel I get, to, I get to feel the animals that are alive. I get to work with clients. I think they really get to feel like they're all this hard work has been worth it. And it is worth it. It just, that experience is feeling dimmed by this, definitely. So I do want to acknowledge, because we have a, a comment on the live chat, that seniors seniors got shafted. They did not get graduation. And oh, I that's just awful. Yes. That, that yes. is really, really uh, um, important thing that, you know, it is, you've worked so hard to have this moment, this day, and, and then not to get it is, it is devastating. And that it is also this, you know, these ceremonies are important because they're ritualistic Mm -hmm. and they are lines of demarcation and, and all of these kinds of things are crucible moments in our lives that we remember. And so, yes. So shout out to Dr. Williams. Yes. Yes. Yes, That's so, thank you so much for saying that. That just really touched my heart, reminded me of how, how important that ritual is and what, what a loss it is and how sad it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Lots of folks that are really, really sad. I know my, um, my social media timelines have been the caps and gowns were already ordered. They have them. And, you know, there's these lovely kind of front yard pictures. (laughs) (laughs) graduations, right? And, and car parades. So what seems to be most encouraging? And, and Elizabeth, you kind of mentioned this. So I'm going to ask Mackenzie kind of broad scale, looking through some of the data from this survey, what, what was encouraging? What was an upside? I think the things that I found really encouraging was, I mean, of course we had those students who were like, you know what, this is actually working. Okay. I, I can do this. This is all right. I thought that it also was really encouraging when some of the students mentioned that, you know, what I think my professor's doing a pretty good job. I think they're doing their best and, you know, a a little bit lower, but still doing okay was, you know, I think my, I think my university or my, my CVM's response to this, um, for the most part, I'm, I'm a okay with it. Okay. To maybe super okay, but there's still some folks who, who aren't pleased with, with the responses that have been coming out so far. 
But I think the, the vast majority saying, I get that we're all in this, I get that we're all navigating this together and we're all doing our best in a space where no one has done this before. So what do we do? But I mean, with that said, I think that the thing I find the most concerning in that space is, and I, and I think Lisa and you and I have had this conversation before, that this grace period, this like, hey, we're all in it together. We're all trying to figure it out. I think that that grace period is only going to last so long mm-hmm. before students are going to start saying like, okay, we want some answers. We want some decisions. We want maybe the quality of some of our lectures to increase. We want to feel that if we have to continue to do online learning, we do want some things shifted and, and changed. Yeah. Do you want to add anything, Elizabeth? Well, my hope is that I agree. And my hope is, is that when things get this disrupted, it is an opportunity for change mm-hmm. and feedback loops, feedback loops to faculty and faculty giving themselves grace as well to, to shift what they expect of themselves in terms of their, the, uh, the, what they're teaching um, and, and changing that to be attuned to the student needs is a potential in this. And so I think it's, it's tempting to get low brain rigid it's got to be this way. It's always been this way. This is the way it's going to be. It's, you can't change anything and work through exercise and sleep and three good things and connecting with core values and talking to loved ones and having hobbies to keep our brains flexible so that the faculty can listen to the students' needs and together develop a, an excellent learning experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful, of course. I think that's, I think that's really, I think it's possible. Especially if we can, and I I was heartened by the students' recognition that the faculty were really scrambling and really working hard to try to give them, meet their needs. I think that especially if, if we can, if we can encourage faculty to be compassionate with themselves, that we, we give them a better chance of adjusting their teaching to meet the students' needs. We, if we're very critical, I think that's very hard for faculty to shift pretty quickly. Sure. And looking at some of the other, some of the other data, you know, I was also, I mean, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention a few of the kind of lower, lower ranking things that were found in, in the data. About 28% of respondents indicated that they had immediate financial concerns, immediate mm-hmm. And 18% had limited or unstable internet access, which, you know, I think that in a time like this where, you know, we're Zooming constantly and FaceTiming and house partying and all of the different tools that folks are using to stay connected, there is often this kind of inherent assumption that everyone is connected everywhere all the time. There's a device, there's something. For some folks and in some parts of the country, I mean, it's, it's just not like that. And in fact, there is still very much a digital divide in the U.S., looking right here in the U.S., and 25% of folks, one in four, just generally do not have consistent access to internet. So it was really kind of somewhat surprising when you're thinking, okay, well, I'm in this, I'm in the pandemic, we're going to just move to online. How we have a statement, we have a thing in our office, like, how hard will that be? It's a joke. Like, it's actually an ironic joke in our office when we say, how hard is that going to be? And, you know, how hard could it be? Where 18% don't have consistent internet access. And what, you know, I imagine that there is some additional kind of 
catastrophizing there. Like I can't get online. I can't watch the lecture. I can't do this. I have to go sit in a parking lot to access internet somewhere. And even well, then when you think about our international students where that, right. that issue might be even more exacerbated, maybe. Right. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So any thoughts on, on some of the things that kind of fell a little bit lower, but still, you know, 28% and 18% is nothing to sneeze at, <laughs> you know, just kind of. <laughs> well, like Mackenzie said, I think that the pandemic is is causing us to look at things that have been happening, but now pose a true logistical problem to accomplishing our charge as academic institutions. And so these data really point to that. Our ability to solve these problems nimbly is essential. Yeah. So a couple of comments from the live chat. Some students actually stayed in town near their their colleges of veterinary medicine rather than going home because internet access at home was, you know, not as accessible. There's also a question in the chat how many US vet schools have announced how they'll be handling the fall semester. Not sure if anybody if any of the schools have have made a final decision yet. I know that most institutions are are kind of proceeding right now with a dual <laughs> track of planning kind of wait and see. I know that there is a searchable database on the Chronicle of Higher Education that they come they update are updating regularly that just kind of gives some broad university level, you know, plans. It'll it'll tell you whether or not an institution um, at the university level has determined whether or not they're planning to open or not. So I would I think there's many who might be waiting until June to make that decision. Yeah. I mean it's so many things that it's only been in the last couple of weeks where institutions have had to make final, final, final summer decisions on summer programs and summer internships and summer research programs and 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 the like. So um, things are still very much in flux. And actually, as we are recording this today, there was just the hearing this morning with the Senate kind of exploring what's next on the horizon with the pandemic. And I watched some of it. Some, some of the news didn't sound very encouraging. <laughs> I think that we're all going to be at home for a little while. So are there any threads in this data, Elizabeth? Again, and it's a really informal study, a really, I mean, a study, I wouldn't even call it a study, a, a, a informal poll that you think that, you know, are there any threads that we really probably should be paying attention to? Well, I, I think that, well, one thread is the, the there is a positive thread in the data. Yeah. So I, I think that that's something to pay attention to in these times, you yeah. know, because yeah. it would be tempting to not. But I also think that there's a thread about students really feeling overwhelmed and feeling like their faculty are not getting it. And also a call for our academic institutions to do our best to communicate clearly. And uh, of course, that's a huge challenge, but I, I, I always think there's ways to work on that. And I think that that the students, you know, the students already have schedules that are really don't allow a lot of time for uh, the important self-care activities that we know are necessary for a healthy mind. And some students fare beautifully in that because they're so gritty and some students struggle with that. And so I think that that's represented in these in these data as well. And and to us, it's been very important to do outreach. You know, like a lot of what the, the vet social work team we've been doing is just just. Hey, 
how you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. and calling uh, house officers, calling residents, calling faculty, calling front desk staff, calling all the students. How's it going? Remember, you've got this resource because I think people get going so quickly that they they don't, and they might say, well, everybody's going through this. Uh, I I shouldn't like you were saying earlier, Lisa. I yeah. shouldn't need help. Right. Yeah. So I think that the thread that's concerning to me to go be very specific about your question is one statement that says um, we're doing our best. And so to me, like if people are getting feeling like they're being criticized and not doing their best, I, I worry about that. Yeah. So including are, faculty, including faculty. Yeah. We're all just everyone is just kind of grinding it out. Right. So what kinds of things do you think, and, and Mackenzie, we'll start with you, and then Elizabeth, I want you to, to jump in at any time. What types of things do you think students can do to help them better manage during this time? Well, and so, <laughs> you know, and by students, I also mean me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, I think that I think that one thing I, I always want everyone, and I, I say this to deans, I say it to associate deans, that like we can't fix it. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna fix it. I, and they're like, well, how do we fix students, you know, anxiety, depression? How do we fix everyone feeling sad and overwhelmed? How do we fix it? And I'm like, oh yeah, no, we're not gonna fix it. Like it's a global pandemic. We're not gonna fix it. But what we can do is we can try to manage it. We can try to realize that yes, it's Everyone's having an experience. We are having a variety of experiences, but letting, like having that validation of you are not stupid because you can't remember what was said in your lecture yesterday that you watched even maybe two hours ago. You're not stupid that you can't, that your memory retention has been impacted due to the level of stress you've been experiencing. You are not lazy because you find it hard to motivate yourself to watch eight hours of lectures in a day so you can stay on top of it. You're, you're in a global pandemic that's not normal. It's the only normal thing is that you are affected by it. We are all affected by this in some way. And so I want students to know like your future is not over because of this in any way, shape or form. Your future is not over. This won't last forever and that there is help and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel for this. And so um, as to some of the things that Elizabeth mentioned earlier, there's the, how do you take a breath? How do you move your body? Because when you have those Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, you got to go down to also the base foundational building blocks of resilience. I need to reduce my stress. I need to do stress relaxation. I need to move my body. I need to eat food that makes me feel good. I'm not going to put morality on that. Just eat some food that makes you feel good. And then drink some water. Calm your mind. Get some sleep. Dear God, please get sleep. Mm. If you prioritize anything, get good quality sleep. Because your, your brain needs that time off when you've been looking at Zoom meetings for eight hours straight. Your brain needs break. Elizabeth. In addition, I think that this is an opportunity to like, if you, if we're using this word catastrophizing and you don't know what that means, now's the time to learn what that means and to recognize when you're doing it and have a plan to manage it. If you don't know what mental filter is, if you don't know what personalization is, these are human thought processes that now is the time to learn them and watch them happen in your own mind and learn how to think more neutrally and calmly. So this is the time because we're all living it to learn these skills of emotional regulation. There is a wonderful, um, and I have no so I'm making a plug, but I get nothing from it except for good <laughs> neuroplasticity. Richie, Richard Davidson 
who is the like premier researcher on uh, neuroplasticity and mental training, mindfulness, compassion training, has a program called Try Healthy Mind. And it's, it's a beautiful app and completely free. And so, you know, I think that, if, if, that, that now is the time, if you've never practiced it, you, you've heard it's good for you, you know it's good for you, but if you've never done it, now is the time to do it. And, and now for everybody everyone because this idea that how we're going to fix the student mm. right yes we gotta we gotta live it heal thyself first yeah yeah <laughs> you gotta live it because because we because we affect everyone that we're around of course of course we do yeah and so we can and so everybody can learn those those like 10 thinking errors and and uh, mindfulness practice yeah i mean and i think that you know on the show sometimes we've talked about kind of the hidden curriculum right and kind of how students learn how to be a professional how to be a doctor and it's not just in the classroom it's how people behave in the clinics it's how people behave in the hallways it's how it's all of this other kind of data that they're kind of taking in almost unconsciously right it's like oh okay well that's what we do that's what we do and i think that there is a, a real opportunity for all of us to model the type of self care that is necessary to get through this and anything, right? This is a time to be conscientious about modeling good self-care practice during times of crises for ourselves, but also for the students who are watching us, even if it is through a screen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I could just add one more thing to that, which is that to me, the highest level of professionalism is not never being depressed. (laughs) Yeah. Or not having anxiety or having some kind of a meltdown. That's not being professional. What's being professional is saying, hey, I'm having a meltdown <laughs> and this is what I have to do about it. That's the height of professionalism. And I think that that is an important hidden curriculum message. It can be tempting to keep it together. I got to look like I've got it together. No, you've got to be responsible though for, for mm. yourself <laughs> yeah. and what's happening inside. Yeah. But you don't yeah. have to keep it. You, you, gotta, you don't have to have it together. You've got to take care of whatever's going on. Yeah, indeed. Um, so we have a comment here from OVC, which is Ontario Very Veterinary College. And it looks like on their Instagram account, they've been doing a campaign around the eight domains of well-being. They've been focusing on one domain a week, sharing ideas and accomplishments. So if you want to do that, you should head on over to Instagram and follow OVC to learn more about those eight domains of well-being. Great. So what kinds of things would you offer or suggest or recommend to administrators? Certainly we know that they should be modeling all of these good things too, but you know, here's your chance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to tell the dean? <laughs> like, that maybe you haven't told the dean already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually I've I've been what I'm sharing with you here is exactly what I've been sharing in my community. I don't have anything else to I don't have have anything else to add, really. So um, after we do this podcast, Mackenzie and I will be talking to the deans. So what are we going to say? Things I'm talking about to the deans. So we're going to have an entire conversation about communication, empathy, and feedback. Kind of how, you know, Elizabeth, we were talking about that feedback loop. It's like you need to actually structure that feedback. Don't just say, well, you know, I'm sure they'll give us feedback. No, 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 no. 
tell people, we want your feedback, please. Like even with kitten mittens, like put it out there. Like we want these. Yes, we want, we want the feedback and have empathetic communication. If, if when I say that and you don't understand what I mean, please don't be the person who writes that communication. Please hand that off to someone who's like, yes, empathetic communication. I understand what that is. Also have that communication, have a communication have that a clear plan. You should have a very clear plan, be able to communicate that in a way that everyone can fully understand, people can get on board, that there's kind of a rallying vision of where you where you're going to take things. And also just really encouraging help-seeking behaviors, modeling those help-seeking behaviors and really encouraging them with everyone. And if people need to know where to go, I think sometimes I, I think throughout the academic year we hear a lot about our resources, we hear a lot about what's available. And sometimes I think when we hit a moment of stress and crisis, somehow we, we, we didn't retain that. So we need to be reminded in a consistent fashion. Great, great advice. And I have one other thing that I would like to add is that think about ableism during this time. I think Mm -hmm. that one of the kind of upshoots that we're learning more about is, I mean, the the reality is we live in a very, very ableist (laughs) society, right? And there are lots of times prior to the onset of the pandemic where we've said no to all kinds of accommodations. Now that there's a pandemic... (laughs) Like a lot of those things, you know, whether it's recorded lectures and asynchronous learning and all of these different kinds of things are readily in use. Those are the things that we've turned to, to cope and manage and continue on. I think that this is a really great opportunity for us all to really think about the accessibility of curricula, the necessary accommodations when students are asking for accommodations. What does that look like? And how, you know, oftentimes we kind of hear pushback like, well, that's not fair to everyone else. Well, you know, I think that that what this pandemic is showing us in the way that we've all adapted online is that there are various ways of doing things. There are various paths that can be, that we can avail ourselves of to still get to the same place and and do it in a really high quality way. And so I think that there's a real opportunity for all of us to think about what does this mean in terms of the future accessibility of veterinary medical education? So Mm -hmm. disruptive innovation. Disruptive mm-hmm. innovation. Yeah. So, Harvard terms. Woo. Yeah. And so there's a, there's just really a lot, particularly if you're looking at, um, I follow a lot of disability advocates on social media, and I will have to say that they are both in, inspiring, but they're, they're not certainly happy that we're all in this predicament, but they are very much like, oh, so we could do that. <laughs> when you said we couldn't. So, you know, why did you say no before, you know, when now it's something that we can all do? And so I would definitely say as my own kind of parting suggestion is to be mindful of of the ways in which we will continue to see this disruption um, as as a means for increasing access, even for our current students. Mm -hmm. So any parting words, my dear colleagues, Elizabeth? Yeah, one that does come up for me is just that compassion does not equal indulgence. And so although I'm saying we can be compassionate with ourselves as faculty, as deans, as students, you know, I'm going back to this idea that there's there's a point at which the students are going to request and uh, definitively, I need my lectures to be 
excellent. And so just because we're being compassionate with ourselves does not mean that we're letting ourselves off the hook. And in fact, to accomplish what you've just shared, Lisa, about really challenging some rigid beliefs about what is accommodatable and what is not, it requires being in a high brain state where we're able to be flexible and to think creatively. And the seed of that is compassion, not judgment. And so whatever each individual has to do to cultivate compassion within themselves is necessary for being able to innovate well at these times. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, recognize that improvement might just be some, a faculty member getting a ring light. (laughs) 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 It might be a well set bar. That's perfect. That's so perfect. Exactly. You exactly what I'm saying. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Ring lights can make all the difference for folks that yeah. are recording lectures, just FYI. Yeah. Uh, any parting words? Uh, I think my parting words would be, I mean, very similar to this idea that this is such, I mean, I, I am sick of the word unprecedented. I, It's such an opportune time for us as an institution and a profession to really think about all, all the biases that we have around what does a veterinarian look like, act like be like, have access to. Um, And like you said, it's like when we talk about accommodations, what we're really doing is excluding people from the profession. And so I I want us, I hope that we take this opportunity to really think about where we want this profession to go, who is part of us, who is part of this amazing group of people. And there's lots of people who want to be, who could be, if maybe we reassess some of our own biases and our own barriers about what we think rigor looks like. Mm. So I, I really hope that we take this opportunity, really grab the bull by the horns and just think, wow, this could be the start of something really amazing for so many people to even be to be more involved in what we do. Indeed. Thank you both to both of you. I know I, I've been telling folks for weeks now, I'm looking forward to reading all of the dissertations that come out of this season. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> It should be some good stuff. But thank you both for taking some time this afternoon uh, to talk about student well-being during the pandemic. This has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcast app. And don't be afraid to give us those five stars on all of those podcast apps that helps people find us. Be sure to also like the AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast Facebook page. I post a lot of articles there, certainly information about the live shows and other podcasts that are relevant to specifically issues around diversity, veterinary medical education, and then higher ed in general. And so be sure to take a moment to like the page so that you can get all of that good juicy info. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.